You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to the First Cup Podcast. I'm Rick Gaiman, and this is your DFS preview for this week's Houston Open. Joining me to break it all down as he does every single Monday, it's Greg Ducharme. What up, Greg? There's a new energy in the air tonight. I can't wait. I'm so I'm so happy we're doing this, Rick. It's a live stream. We're live on YouTube. I'm I'm thrilled. I love doing live stuff. We are live. I'm terrified. I'm scared. I hope I don't say anything crazy. No, it's all good. We do this every single week, right? We shouldn't have anything to be worried about. Uh, if you'd like to watch us, youtube.com slash first cut podcast is obviously where this uh, is going live and will be replayed. And of course, if you have any questions or comments or anything you'd like us to respond to on the show, drop a five-star rating and review on Apple podcasts and throw the questions in the chat. We'll go through them as uh We've, we've never done that before, Greg. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll tee us up on some questions if they start rolling in. should be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's like, uh, hey, we, we'll start to get our, our messages. Hey, first time, long time. <laughs> it, it's like we're on sports radio. So I lo- love it. I'm all in. All right, sweet. So let's talk about uh, this week. The Vivint Houston Open Memorial Park Golf Course. We were previewing this a little bit on Sunday's pod, Greg, and we were saying this is the first time that they've used Memorial Park since like 1963 or something like that. And the most unique aspect of this course is, is really the scorecard. I think five par fives, five par threes. You don't see that every day on the PGA Tour. No, you don't. We just recently saw it. Which, Sherwood. Uh, yeah, at, at Sherwood, which is fun. Um, there's maybe one other venue where we get to see that here and there. So uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. I think it adds a, an element of interest. It adds an element of excitement. It, it makes par five scoring extremely important, of course. Uh, and even for guys who play par fives well in general, are you going to have the chance to take advantage of them? So that that's really a couple of the things I'm looking for when we get into this tournament come Sunday, who is the guy that has what it takes to make birdies and take advantage of those par fives? Cause as we've seen recently, that's not necessarily a uh, gimme. We saw it last week, uh, last night actually at uh, in Bermuda, I guess yesterday morning, and we've seen it before on the PGA Tour. Players fail to take advantage of par fives. It can cost them a tournament. So they're going to be very, very important this week. We were trying to, you know, we're still working on as much research as we can about a brand new course. It's always a learning process. You always got to get boots on the ground and see how it's playing this week. But the way that I understand this, I think you're going to be able to hit driver basically anywhere you want. But I do think the rough is going to be a bit more penal than, you know, sometimes we're like, ah, this is a, this is like a bomb and giggle, Greg, like whatever, like, you know, this just hit it out there wherever you want. I don't think that's necessarily the case, but also uh, Tom Doak, and we were talking about this before we went hot. Uh, Tom Doak reads this place in 2019 with the help of one Brooks Kepka. Isn't that weird? Well, it's uh, 
a first for, <laughs> that, that I know of anyway. So it's very interesting to see somebody who's as young as Brooks Kepka is uh, and we're playing a golf course that he's helped design. So it's interesting. I, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, it does seem to me like a Tom Doak design would match quite well with Brooks Kepka's style where they tend to be mm. open. I think of Stream Song Blue is a course that I've played that's a, a Tom Doak. And you have kind of some open areas, not that it makes it easy by any means, but it gives you some opportunities for angles. And it's really all about the green complexes, which tend to be, I, I equate them to almost like what I imagine a St. Andrews type green to be, where they're not necessarily pitched back to front, but there's humps and bumps and mounds and it, it, they create big greens with little sections in them. But it, from the sounds of it, Rick, from what you've heard, that may yeah. not be the case this week. Well, I think it's a bit different because this is a muni and we were kind of saying, you know, when, when you're, when you're designing a public course, you're a lot more concerned about pace of play. Let's be real. Right. I mean, you can play, you can play Memorial park for like 50 bucks. I'm pretty sure it's the cheapest, the absolute cheapest uh, PGA tour stop that you can get to. And and if you want to go play it, it'd be, it'd be great. Uh, But I think that the way that I understand this, and obviously we'll get more information as the week goes along, um, there, there are more subtleties to the green, you know, little ridges, maybe tough to read a little bit. I think there's going to be a lot of hands on hips and a lot of like, what, what was that type of reactions as golfers try to figure this out, as opposed to those huge rolling, uh, you know, undulations that we might see from other dokes. Well, you may see some confusions. You may see some hand signals as, as we like to say, well, I miss that. That shouldn't have gone right. We went left. You, you will see some of that, but you're also going to see a lot of made putts. Um, and you think back to a place like TPC Harding Park, where many of the players didn't have a ton of experience there. And as difficult as that course was, tee to green, guys were still able to make birdies. And look back at a, at a highlight reel of Colin Morikawa and the putts that he made <laughs> at, at TPC Harding Park. There's not a ton of movement to them. They're, they're very straight putts. So the read becomes very important. Line control becomes very important. But I do think it favors... I'm interested to get your thoughts, Rick. I think it favors a guy who's uh, really, really strong tee to green. Uh, f- for sure. And, and almost every course in the world does. I also do think there's a bit more emphasis on the around the green game. So, uh, of course, the week before the Masters, it is to the Houston Open's benefit to try to at least in some ways mimic what players could see at Augusta National. It incentivizes them to come and play the week before the Masters. So what I think you're going to see are a lot of these closely mown areas around the greens that roll down in these collection areas. Greg, they're going to provide uh, some tight lies. So I think you're going to have to be a bit savvy around the greens. Um, but obviously if you're hitting everything to six feet, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm <laughs> interested to see how much now the, the old golf course they played for this tournament was kind of redesigned to mimic the masters, but this right. one, I'm not sure this tournament was this golf course was designed for that purpose. One, it, the Houston open moved in the schedule it moved to the fall. This, um, this Houston Open preceding the Masters is kind of a one-off experience. So I, I'll be curious to see how much it really does resemble, uh, it, it, how much it really does resemble a Masters kind of setup. Are they able to get the greens that fast? Do the greens have the undulation to promote that kind of creativity around the greens? I'm not sure. And when in doubt, Rick, tee to green. 
There you go. And and you're absolutely right. There were some great quotes that came out today that were basically like, you know, we, we couldn't even oversee this to kind of make it like Augusta National if we wanted to. So you're right. There will be, I think there's going to be just a few similarities, not like we would normally see the week before right. Augusta National. Okay. Um, let's jump into the pricing. We'll jump into a couple of these questions here. So go ahead and drop them in the chat. But keep in mind that uh, if you want to get your master's questions in, now is the time. We're going to do a mailbag episode. We've been doing uh, a lot of content before the master's. That's going to continue again this week. Drop a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Ask your master's question, and we'll go through it in the mailbag episode. Greg, five golfers over $10,000, led by Dustin Johnson at 11500 Tony Finau at 10009 Brooks Kepka 10-6, Terrell Hatton 10-3, Hideki Matsuyama 10000 Of that group, I think there's a lot of question marks in there, but I do want to get your opinion on your favorite golfer, and I also want to address Tokyo Swan's question about Brooks Kepka because the question is, do you think Brooks Kepka has an advantage on this course since he consulted on the redesign? there's an advantage to some degree. Uh, look, there's not much precedent. There's, there's not many past histories of players playing courses that they themselves designed. <laughs> right. Um, but the other thing to consider when you're designing a golf course is it's, it's not like you're playing the golf club uh, 2019, right? It's not like you're playing a video game here where you can design a hole and then play it and test play it. Right. You're talking about uh, you're talking about dirt greens, you're leveling dirt greens. You're looking at a map. You're looking at completely different things than um, than than actually hitting a putt on a green. But the the advantage that Brooks will have is he knows what Tom Doak and what he himself had in mind for a hole. He will understand going in the concepts of the holes, which I do think is important. When it comes down to the nitty gritty, I think the ad- advantage there is minimal. And I believe the PGA Tour players of today. Are, are so good at preparing for golf courses that um, those kind of advantages and from the sounds of the golf course, I, I think they're going to be able to figure it out. I, I don't think it gives Brooks much of an advantage. Dustin Johnson making his first start back from testing positive for COVID-19, which kept him out for a couple of weeks. So we haven't seen him play on the PGA Tour since the U.S. Open. Um, I think that what we've seen for most players coming off of that COVID list is a little bit of rust. We'll see how Dustin Johnson is able to uh, contend with that. But I'll tell you what, uh, I mean, Terrell Hatton here. 10,300. He's won three times in his, in his last 15 starts. He's a great ball striker. Um, I, I I am probably staying away from, from Brooks and from DJ. I think there's too many question marks there. Uh, And I'm favoring and Greg, I I think you can get me on the record for this. I've never said this. I I think it's Tony Finau. What? Wait, say, say that again. I've never heard that out of you. So I tweeted out this morning the uh, the update to the Puerto Rico Open curse because I knew this moment was coming. So we were at 1,131 combined starts in the Puerto Rico Open curse, and I think this might be the week for Tony Finau, who has been phenomenal from tee to green all over the world, all over the world, Greg. I mean, yes, he's got some finishes that will be considered disappointments, you know, that he kind of gave away on Sunday, but he's been phenomenal from tee to green. He finished 11th at the Zozo, finished 8th at the U.S. Open. This is a place where you're going to be able to hit driver on basically every single hole. I I have question marks about the other guys. I I think it's time. I think it's Finau time. Um, I I am always a Finau fan, and I think in, in fantasy golf, he gives you some great upside. 
getting across the finish line and getting the win and breaking the curse, the curse of the Puerto Rico open. There are a lot of layers in that, Rick. And it's not necessarily something that's just as easy as, well, he's hitting it really well and the course fits him. Because the truth is when Tony Finau shows up on property, the golf course fits him. It fits him quite well, almost every single week. Now, couple advantages that I see for him this week. Five par fives is one. He was 28th last year in 2020 um, in par five scoring. And I, I think that's going to be very important. Um, again, he, he was decent in par three scoring as well. 14th in par four scoring. So look, the guy just scores well. Um, but the par fives is an area where he can really take advantage. And I don't have doubts. Um, the other advantage is, as you said, if those greens are as subtle as it sounds and they're somewhat benign and it is somewhat like a, uh, like a, I'm comparing it to Harding park. It's a a recent public golf course that we've seen. Then I I think it gives a player who, whose weakness is putting when they're as strong tee to green as a Tony Fino. I think it gives them a great advantage. Um, it, it benign putting surfaces tend to take the advantage of putting and, and kind of level the playing field a little bit. So it's, so it's Hideki week. Hideki is another player I have circled there. I, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You're talking about safe. Right? You, when you don't know a golf course, when nobody knows a golf course or very few players know the golf course, there's a huge advantage to really solid TD green players. It, it becomes, you, you can ball strike your way around course knowledge. If it's really good, you don't have to worry about where to miss. If you're not missing, like you said, Rick, right? You hit it to six feet all day. And it's no problem. So when these guys feel like they can fly it at a flag stick and land it near a flag stick, um, the, the course knowledge is reduced. The putting knowledge, the, the knowledge and the nuance in the greens is reduced. A place like Augusta National where we are going next week, the nuance is extremely high. You got to know where to put it. You got to understand what the lies are asking for in the fairways. You got to understand breaks in the greens. The, all of that stuff takes time and experience. Most municipal golf courses don't um that's a typical thing so we're yet to it's yet to be seen whether or not that's the case but when i have doubt like that i go with guys who understand how to how to hit the ball from tee to green and tony fino and hideki matsuyama are the two guys i have circled in this list and i'll make one more point on dustin johnson too because it's he i think he deserves more than just there's a lot of question marks about him because they're there you know he has missed time because of covid19 not his fault by any means. There's the rust question. His only finish so far this year has been a tied sixth at the U.S. Open after the run that he went on towards the end. So I think there's a lot of good for Dustin Johnson. He's 10th in par five scoring average last year. He went on the heater of all heaters to end the season. So all the answers are there for DJ. It's just, are we going to see that guy return from uh, this little mini hiatus in the same form? Or is Rust a question? When he's priced as high as he is, uh, unfortunately for me, I, I don't want question marks at that price. So mm-hmm. I may I may go to a Finau, I may go to a, a Hideki Matsuyama, and um, and regretfully leave Dustin Johnson sitting there. But um, I, but I do think Dustin. I'm not, I mean, I wouldn't say it's a bad play to play Dustin Johnson. There's just some risk. Um, quickly on Matt Moore, who asks if uh, Terrell Hatton can stay hot like this. Um, he's not in a heater. He's just this good. Under $10,000, we are in the $9,000 range. Victor Hovland, Scotty Scheffler, Russell Henley, who 
we've got to talk about. Sung J M, Adam Scott, Sergio Garcia, and Jason Day. Let's start with Russell Henley here. He has been absolutely dominant at Houston Opens. He's been phenomenal recently, four top tens in his last six starts. The problem with all that great tournament history nowhere near Memorial park. <laughs> it's like completely right. different course. Don't so throw it out the window. I don't really care. So look at the recent form four out of his last six. He's got the top tens. I, I, I love Russ Henley. And I got to tell you, Greg, I was kind of stunned this morning when I woke up and I checked the odds and saw that he was 16 to one, the second shortest odds tied with Finau and Hatton. And I was like, that's a, that's a joke, right? Like I love Russell Henley, but that's a joke. He's not priced as badly on DFS sites. I, I still don't think I'll get there. I think he's a bit at critical mass. I think everybody's going to be involved in him. I think a lot of people are going to misconstrue event history and course history. So I'm probably out on Russell Henley, but I think it's better in a DFS format than it is in a straight outright format. I could not agree more. Uh, look, straight outrights are, are never easy. And, and um, this would be quite a streak if he were to add a win at the end of it. But you got to look at what Russell Henley has done and say, okay, this isn't a guy that's just uh, on a heat. This guy's really, this, he's really, really good. And he's proved it time and time again. It, and look, tied 27th at the Shriners, um, tied third at CJ Cup and tied fourth at Zozo. Those are big boy fields. Mm-hmm. And, and also at the Shriners, you're talking about a guy who shot 14 under. So he shot 14 under, 17 under, 19 under in his last three tournaments. And that was all before a really good finish to the end of the year in 2020, right? This was the the playoff run was rather good for him as well. It was tied ninth at the Wyndham the week before the playoffs and then tied eighth and tied 25th. So I'm not worried about what he's done at the Houston Open at all. I'm worried about what he's done recently. And he's done a lot for me lately. So to me, when I'm looking at a, a course where the fit is, okay, who are the really good ball strikers? These are the guys that I'm going to favor because I know so little about the golf course. Well, now all of a sudden, Russell Henley jumps to the top of the page. And although he feels like a guy that shouldn't be $9,400 on DraftKings, <laughs> he should be. And if he was any less, he'd be the value play of the tournament. So I think he's very fairly priced. And I think he's a lot better than the name recognition. And, and I also think that what he does very well as a player, which is elite iron play. I mean, amongst in the past couple of weeks, it's been some of the best on the PGA tour. He's, he's number one since the restart, like literally the number one strokes gained approach player since the restart, which is like 45 rounds he's played or something crazy. Like yeah. it's, it's longer than it feels. It's not just this season. It goes back longer than that. I it, agree. I, I mean, it go, for him, it goes back to June. Right. He yeah. started at the RBC Heritage. So that was uh, June 21st. So you're looking at a, a pretty decent um, track record, very good recent form in the short term, and also great iron play in the long term. So I think he's found something. And on a golf course like this, this is what I'm looking for. So he, to me, he checks all the boxes, checks every box. So Russell Henley's a definite play for me. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm worried about where he checks in, in, in terms of ownership, but I, I mean, I get it. I understand why he's priced here. Um, who, who else? I mean, you know, Adam Scott's going to make his first start back since testing positive for COVID. Uh, Sergio Garcia has been T to greening everybody to death for a, a month or so. Um, Jason Day, I'll, I'll, I want to talk about Jason Day for just a second, but is there anybody else here, Greg, that really moves the needle in the nine K range? What are we doing with Scotty Scheffler? 
because he's the guy that moves the needle the most just yeah. on, simply on name recognition and 9600 for him in this field feels a, it feels like a great price with really high win equity i would say what do you think I'd, I'd make the argument that, so uh, Scotty was super hot coming down the stretch before the U.S. Open. He tests positive. He starts struggling uh, in the in the return. I like what he did at Zozo. That's the last time we saw him. It felt more like Scotty Scheffler. He gained six and a half strokes off the tee. He gained nearly eight from tee to green. He was a bad putter, which is fine. That's what he always does. So it felt more like... The, st- the the version of Scotty Scheffler that I love, and he makes a ton of birdies, right? He, we always talk about how much he outpaces himself in terms of fantasy scoring versus his finishing position in the golf tournament. So I, I love that about him. Throw him out there on, on five par fives. I think he is like maybe objectively the best player in the 9,000 range. Yeah, I kind of, well, I, look, I think, I think right now Russell Henley has an edge on him. Um, which is not displayed in price. So I prefer Russell. I understand what you're saying, Rick, where it feels kind of like Russell's a little bit uh, out over his skis here in Mm -hmm. terms of his price points and the popularity is likely going to be very high. I'm with you on all that, but I I feel like it's deserving. Um, Scotty Scheffler is kind of on a different trend. It's like the uptick has just started where Russell Henley's been running hot for a while and there's likely going to be a downtick at some point soon. I just don't think it's going to be this week. Um, so I, I really like Scotty Scheffler. The guy that I want to discuss, um, who I find interesting this week more so than in a normal um, event like this, more or more so in a normal event where we're favoring ball strikers. Sergio's a guy, Sergio Garcia is the player I want to discuss. He's a mm. guy who I look at as a great ball striker who his predictability on golf courses that are going to suit a ball striker is still questionable because the putting is not just, well, it could be hot. It could be cold. It's always, it's bad. It like, it's hard for Sergio Garcia to make birdies, which always gives me pause, but he does very well on par fives. So far this year, he's averaging four point four and a half um, strokes on par fives, which is 29th on the PGA tour in this, uh, what is now a short season. And when you have five of those opportunities, that's where Sergio Garcia makes his birdies. Go back to um, go back to last year. It was four, just over 4.6 in his par five scoring average. So when, for Sergio Garcia, he's this kind of guy that's going to hit it in the fairway, hit it on the green and miss the putt. And when you give him par fives, that missed putt is the missed eagle putt and he can still make birdies. So I think there's a higher birdie opportunity for Sergio this week, which has my interest. I don't like him nearly as much as Henley and Scheffler, but he kind of piques my interest because of the five par fives. Here are the uh, top players in this field in terms of par five scoring average. This is this season, so it can be a bit of a small sample size. John Huh, who's played four rounds, Tony Finau, Sean O'Hare, Christopher Ventura, Victor Hovland, Harold Varner the third are the best golfers in this field in terms of par four score, or I'm sorry, par five scoring average. If that is a, a metric that you're looking for, which I think is a, a good a good one. Um, okay, Greg. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to jump into the 8K range. We're going to get into a lot of value, but first we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our partners. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. 
Visit roberthalf.com today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And we're back. The magic of live. You, just, you didn't even get that. You didn't even get that break. You just you just skipped it. How about that? Um, let's jump into this 8K range, which I think there's a lot of guys to talk about. You've got defending champion Lonto Griffin at 8,900. That's uh, that's above 7,000. That would not go with the flow chart, but I still like Lonto. Uh, Doc Redman here, 8,800. Jordan Spieth is in here. Uh, I mean, your buddy can't, uh, Stuart Sink. I mean, this is, this is an absolutely jam-packed tier of golfers. I would be very happy with a lot of these guys. Who's most interesting to you, Greg? Well, there are two guys that make me extremely happy, and I feel like um, they're can't-miss guys. So Lonzo Griffin and Russell Henley are in very interesting places. It's like they've proved their worth, and the pricing is finally catching up to what they've been actually doing. And that's where I feel. So with Lonzo, my question is, is the um, – the fact that he's a defending champion, which really yeah. has not—it's it, got nothing to do with this tournament. It stinks. It's a completely different golf course. If yeah. anything, it adds pressure for him, right? Because you're going to have a, a couple more media uh, obligations. There's going to be some other things that you have to do. It's it, it it adds a little bit of it adds a layer to this event, it, right? It's all the negatives and none of the positives. It's none right. of the good vibes going back to a place that you won. It's no great memories. You have to defend and you have to do your obligations. It's all of the worst stuff, none of the good stuff. Yeah, but then again, at the same time, Lonto Griffin hits the ball a long ways. He's averaging over 300 yards off the tee this year. Um, so he's got plenty of distance. He loses strokes off the tee largely because of accuracy. And I'm I'm very interested in seeing how this course plays this week. When you have a high clubhead speed player and the rough's a little bit more penal, the, the driving accuracy matters on fewer holes. It'll matter on par fives when it, it's a, the difference of being able to hit a long iron onto the green or being forced into a layer. Or the difference between uh, hitting a three-wood from 280, getting it right up around the green, and having to hit a six iron that leaves you with 90 yards. There's there there's a There are a few shots few tee shots where driving accuracy becomes a little bit more important because it, it actually has that tangible difference of going for the green or not but on the par fours he's got the club head speed to handle most rough so uh, i look at lanto as a player who's i think a very strong possibility with a tied seventh at the cj cup a tied 11th at the zozo in the final group in both of those tournaments and sunday didn't go the way he wanted to um, and I actually had yeah. a chance, Rick, to speak to him about that a little bit, and mm-hmm. um, and he was definitely disappointed in those. He, but but at the same time, he was driven by those performances, and he learned a lot, particularly from John Rahm and Justin Thomas, where he said th- those guys go. They're, they're not trying to be your friend. They're out there to take it. Um, they're <laughs> yeah. out there to you know rip your heart out, and you can have lunch with them, and they'll be your friend. But when you get into the arena, they shift into a different gear, and I'm learning from that. To what Lanto said. So I, I like Lanto in that aspect. The price just, it feels a little bit high for me. 
continue to drop your questions in the chat. I was saving this one from Andrew Dallamore, who is asking about guys coming in in good form. And the three golfers that he asked about are all in this range. So it's Stuart Sink, James Hahn, Denny McCarthy. Um, you know, two of those guys we've spent a lot of time on. Stuart Sink, we spent a lot of time on over the course of the week, uh, last couple of weeks. Uh, Denny McCarthy, I probably go on a five-minute rant every single week about Denny McCarthy. We've gotten, you know, confirmation that he is working with a new instructor, the, the, the stuff that we're seeing on the spreadsheet, which is that his ball striking is improving. That is 100% in line with uh, his, his new, his new swing mechanics and his new swing coach. So that's great. I think Denny is trending towards a victory very soon. It it just feels like he's on that path, but James Hahn came up and I think this one's interesting because James Hahn's only played three times this season, Greg, he's played the Safeway, Punta Cana and Shriners ninth, sixth and fifth three top tens. And I love the way he's doing it, uh, especially the last time we saw him at the Shriners. He gained nearly 10 strokes from T to green. He lost strokes putting. That's fine. We t- we joke all the time about how confident James Hahn is and what his swing thoughts are. He literally thinks he's the best player in the world. Um, so I, I, I kind of like Han. He's a flat 8,000. I'll be interested interested to see, because we haven't seen him since the Shriners, what that ownership looks like. Usually you, you take a couple of weeks off and you get forgotten. Um, but I'm I'm very much in on the James Han bandwagon this week. Yeah, I could jump in on that too. The only problem for me, potential problem, is that Stuart Sink is in the same price range. And I'm just like reining in the Stuart Sink success. It just yeah. keeps paying off week after week after week. Now, there's one caveat. There's one exception um, in the Stuart Sink season so far. First of all, he wins the the first event that he plays with a 65 on Sunday. Tied 12th at the Sanderson with a 65 on Sunday. All of a sudden at the Shriners, where it's impossible to make the cut, you got to shoot seven under to make the (laughs) cut. It is impossible to make the cut. Right? It's ridiculous. Uh, I'm seeing all these guys with great, uh, great recent form. I'm looking at, and they all missed the cut at the Shriners, but they shot five under or six under, or it's just ridiculous. Well, he made the cut, but he shot 81 on Sunday. And it's like 81. Okay. Well, this is the, you're probably sitting there saying not you, Rick, but you all (laughs) viewing, listening are saying, well, uh, this is it for Stuart Sink. Oh, it was a good run, but he's old now, but that was an anomaly. It was a one time thing. And he comes back at the Bermuda and shoots 64 on Sunday, leading to a T four finish. I mean, you're talking about four Sunday rounds where there's a 65, 65, 64, the 81 is going to throw off your Sunday scoring average a little bit, but this is a guy who is extremely confident right now throughout the entirety of the back. He feels great having his son Reagan on the back. He is from in every area of the game. He feels strong and he's a veteran. And, and I, I really like that about Stuart Sink. So it's just, it's hard for me to go away from him. He's one of those guys that I'm going to, he's going to have to prove to me that he's cooled off before, before I stop clicking his name under my lineup. I want to spend a minute uh, on this strategy question because I think it's Val and I want to get your thoughts on it. I'm not sure how much we've spent on it. Prab Job Kang uh, asks, how much weighting should we give to Bermuda positive putters? So this is an interesting conversation about putting on certain surfaces. I'm not necessarily a big believer in this because I think there is a lot of variance that goes into, hey, was I just having a good putting day? Was I having a bad putting day? There's a lot of other factors than just the surface. You get a lot of hybrid strains now on the PGA Tour, so it's very unique. It's very difficult to parse out. But with all that being said, I'm a data guy, right? Like I, I, I think there's a lot of flaws in the data, Greg, you, you, you play and you play well. And, and I know when we talk to players, they care 
about surfaces and they care about grain and they care about all that stuff. So like, it's hard for me to kind of separate myself from the spreadsheet when every single golfer that we ever talk to tells us that it matters. Yeah, it, it does matter. Although it's mattering less and less and less over time as greens get faster, as the grass heights get lower and lower, the, the effect of grain gets reduced more and more and more. And all of these surfaces are turning into pool tables. And so what matters more is what is the, what are the characteristics on the greens besides the, the grass and the surface in typical PGA tour events. I mean, you're talking about a golf course preparing for the best of the best coming to play. They're coming to town. When that happens, you prep the course accordingly, right? You want to make sure that it's in, it's in pristine shape the one week of the year where you're going to be, your golf course is going to be televised. So the greens are going to be cut low. And, and typically the way that um, Bermuda strands are kind of trending, they're getting much more and more and more like a bent grass where the grain is reduced. I mean, when I was in college in South Carolina, the first year I got there, they had Bermuda greens and the grain made a huge difference, massive effect. Of course, wasn't in particularly good shape. They regrass my, in the summer of my sophomore year. And all of a sudden there's no more grain. Grain is no longer a factor. I go down to Florida um, in the wintertime for a number of summers and play on these Bermuda greens. And when you play most of these courses, it, it has very little effect. It's, it's minuscule, minuscule, mm. less than, um, you know, less than 1%. It, it's nothing. So as, as course, as grass heights get lower and lower, as green speeds go up and up, um, the effect of grain goes down and down. So to me, I would be looking less at the surface and more at the, the, um, okay, this is a, these are subtle greens versus very undulating greens. I believe that has a greater effect these days. Good stuff. $7,000 range. Harold Varner third is in here. He was one of the most popular golfers on the slate last week. He missed the cut. Uh, a couple of guys coming over from the European tour. Lee Westwood sighting, which I actually don't mind whatsoever. Phil Mickelson, I think, is hiding. Yeah, there he is, hiding somewhere in here. Greg, you're... Uh, you know, who, who I, don't, I was going to say, who's your favorite, but I didn't want to put you in a box like that. You know, who, who moves the needle for you in the seven K range? Yeah. See, this is a big range. So it's, it's hard to, it, it's, it's really hard to um, kind of decide who your favorite, who your single favorite is. There are a couple of names that really stick out to me. Lee Westwood is one because he is, he matches the fingerprint of what we're talking about on a course where you don't know, and you got to hit the ball solid T to green. That's what Lee Westwood does. And putting, um, putting abilities are kind of leveled out a little bit. Well, that's perfect for Lee Westwood. So I, I do like that play. Um, and I really like Harold Varner. I like coming back to a Harold Varner who mm. was very popular last week. It didn't quite go very well because he is another player. And we've talked about this on countless occasions um, and Kyle loves to bring this up. Harold Varner third is an elite ball striker, right? His tee to green stuff is um, is off the charts good. So I'm going to give Harold Varner a, a run, which is kind of against the grain for me. I'd like to go with yeah. really solid recent form, but I'm going to give him a, uh, the benefit of the doubt here. I think he's going to come back and play well. A couple other guys I really like down in the um, lower $7,000 range, but uh, who's on top of mind for you? Yeah, well, before we do that, uh, it was a good segue with Harold Varner's tee to green stuff to BT asking, can you explain when would you when you would use strokes gained approach over strokes gained tee to green? So 
sometimes uh, around the green can can infiltrate your tee to green stuff. So if a guy holes out a couple of times, it can make his tee to green, you know, chip in from around the green, make his tee to green stuff look a lot better. I prefer uh, strokes game ball striking, which is an unofficial stat. It is adding up off the tee and approach. Those are probably that's that's my my go to. It's it's a lot less noisy. It's a lot harder to manipulate with a couple of you know one shot here or there, um, and it usually brings the cream to the top. Also uh, interested to get your thoughts on this, Rick, but um, T to green stuff tends to be great long-term because it combines three areas of the game together. So as the time period you're looking for, say if if you're looking at just 2021 or if you're looking at um, the entirety of 2020 or the entirety of 2019, as the sample size gets bigger, to me, T to green, the value of T to green increases. When sample size gets smaller, I like to look at more specific areas of the game as great strengths. Okay, oh, well, he's really, really hitting the ball well with his irons, um, or he's hitting the ball really well off the tee. I like to get a little more specific as the sample size gets smaller. And we're in the midst of a sample size issue right now because the season just started. So if you're looking at, you know, for example, Harold Varner the third being, uh, you know, 46th from tee to green, you're not looking at the right thing because if you go back to the start of, uh, since the tour's restart, he's basically fifth of anybody in this yeah. field uh, who's played at least 30 rounds. So you've got to take sample size certainly in into consideration um where are we at seven thousand dollar range here yeah. I'll, I'll run through quickly on a couple of these guys i'll piggyback on lee westwood i believe he's got like eight straight top 30s all over the world he played well at the u.s open he rarely plays himself out of a tournament right he doesn't have a lot of big numbers lurking i mentioned at the top of the show i think there's going to be some tricky situations around the greens which I always love Mackenzie Hughes, right? He's kind of a short game specialist. He's one of these guys that I think he's got like seven top 15s in his last 15 starts. He's, he's, he's not consistent. He's going to be volatile, but if you're looking for a bit of that um, volatility in your lineups, I think it's, I think it's all good. And then uh, Adam Shank is in this range. Adam Shank is 7,100. We continue to, uh, what is he up to now? 10, 11 weeks in a row where he's made the cut. It's still one of the longest active streaks. Yeah. He's playing well. He's finding a way. And the the price hasn't really taken hold yet. I think he was in the 8,000s last week. He's back down to 7,100 where just making the cut, just making a top 30, a top 35 becomes more valuable. Yeah, I, I think um, riding the, the shank train is a good idea. But the player I like down in this lower range, Rick, um, is Scott Piercy. And Scott Piercy to me is a guy who was always, always seemed to be this great choice, right? His iron play is so good. He's got such a simple swing, such an even keel um, temper on the course. Yet he last year lost his game completely. It, it went really sideways for him and he wasn't hitting the ball very well. But so far this year um, in, in the 2020, 2021 season, he has kind of started to get some things back together of old. For instance, he's 25th in uh, greens of regulation, hitting nearly 74% of his greens of regulation. That's a lot. He's 37th approach the green, 40th off the tee, uh, struggling with the putting a little bit, but these things are coming together and it's showing in recent form. After missing the cut at the Safeway Open, uh, tied 57th at the Sanderson Farms with a weak Sunday, gets it together for Shriners, tied 19th, tied 14th at Bermuda. I feel like this is a player trending in the right direction, 
who's a very talented player at a very low price point. Okay, final call for questions. We're going to jump into the 6K range and we'll go quickly so we can answer some of these questions here. We can rapid fire them at the end and see what happens. But Greg, I think there's a couple of names in the 6K range and I haven't really started to build lineups yet. It's obviously, you know, Monday afternoon here on the West Coast. So um, I, I'm not sure if it'll be more of a balanced approach for me this week or a, or a, a, a um a, a stars and scrubs type approach, uh, but friend of the pod, Scott Stallings, $6,900, uh, which by the way, Scott Stallings has never been on the pod, but we just like to reference him yeah. all the time. He, his name <laughs> comes up all the time. You can timestamp his name. He's still, he's still a friend of the pod. Um, he's been hitting his irons a, a heck of a lot better. He's coming off of, I think he was like T26, I want to say, last week. He finished sixth at Sanderson. Like he's playing well. There's not much down here in the 6,000s, but I've got like, the deepest one I've ever, I've ever tried to throw at you, Greg. Are you really? Yeah. This is, this is like as deep as it gets. John, huh? $6,300. He is playing on a major medical right now. So he has not played since it was whatever event ended March 1st. Was that Genesis or maybe waste management, whatever it was. He hasn't played since March. Yeah, I don't it's why, uh, I'm pretty sure that's um, I'm pretty sure that's waste management. I, think I can go pull after up. Genesis. But what I love, what I like is, so he finally came back and he played at um, at Shriners a couple of weeks ago, and he was dominant and dynamite from T to green. He gained nearly nine strokes from T to green. He was sixth in that field. He hasn't played since. So I, I am taking the smallest of sample sizes. I'm taking four rounds and I'm saying, if this guy just does exactly what he did at Shriners this week and he finishes T 19 for $6,300, I'm over the moon. I'm ecstatic. Like I, I, I understand that I'm taking on a lot of volatility. I'm taking on a lot of risk. I'm taking on a lot of everything, but at $6,300, I'm not looking for much more than a dart throw. I, I think, I mean, I'm completely with you. You're throwing darts to some extent. There's going to be a hole in somebody's game when you get way down here. So you can't um, obsess over, well, he's got to check all the boxes, right? He, he He's missing this or missing that. You can't obsess over that. You got to find something to hang your hat on. And I love that. Another guy who sticks out to me, who, who's deep, I'm going deep here with you, Kevin Chappell. I have questions Oof. about, of yeah. course, right? He's the same, he's the same price uh, at 6,300. But the thing that I like about him is it, it, he was dealing with an injury for a long time and he started to come back and you saw him open with the 64 at the Sanderson farms. And he did miss the cut at Triners uh, with the 70, 72, but I'm wondering if Kevin Chappell is going to round back into form. He's a guy who shot 59 on the PGA tour. He's a guy who's won multiple times on the PGA. Uh, he's won once on the PGA tour, the Valero Texas open also won on the corn Ferry tour. Um, but he's a player who I think has some win equity and there's going to be a point in time where he rounds into form and gets his game back. I'm not sure that's going to happen this week, but if you're down in that range, it may be worth kind of throwing a dart at. Um, but I have two questions. The, the two guys I want to ask you about, Rick, are in the $6,700 range, and they okay. catch my eye. We've been talking about him for weeks and Patrick Rogers. The <laughs> other guy would be, uh, yeah, I, and no, you have to bring him up, right? Yeah. He's, he's becoming a friend of the pod as well. Yeah. Uh, the other guy would be Charles Schwartzel, who sits right above him. Where are, what, what's your temperature with these guys? 
we're going to start to invoice Patrick Rogers for all the PR we give him on this show. I think. <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm probably a bit more bullish on Patrick Rogers out of those two. I, I'm still a believer that, you know, he's a, he, he's a net positive putter for the vast majority of the last year. He's been in a couple of struggles recently. I also like the way that he drives the ball and statistically it shows up well there. I think he's much more, I don't know what the right word is. I was going to say agile, but that's not the right word. It's just like, I, I think his upside's a little bit better. Schwartzel, yeah, we saw him really work hard towards the end of uh, last season in the, in the playoffs, and he was trying to figure out a way to get everything in the cup. I thought it was a bit fluky. I, I thought he relied on the putter a bit much. So if you're making me choose between those two, uh, I, I hate to say it. It's, it's probably back to Pat Raj. Yeah, I, I may just be a little bit tired of him right because he's he's been okay just hasn't given me quite the yeah oh great pick again and that's why he remains down in the price ranges that he does i'll say something about charles schwartzel though um couple of nice finishes so far this year and i wonder if the event next week um in augusta has him inspired where he's (laughs) where he's really trying to uh get it together maybe you have a motivated player down at the in the 67 um you know, in the 6K range. So I, I may I may give Charles Schwartzel a crack, but again, it, it is a little bit of a of a blind dart it, throw. Is there a golf tournament next week? I I, I took off. <laughs> um I think it was next. I'll have to double check the schedule. Yeah, I'll have to double check the schedule. Uh real quick, Mitch asks about one and done. Um Tuesday's pod. We'll go through all the one and done leans for uh, us to Mark and Kyle. We'll go through all that probably a little bit early. I don't even know who I'd be leaning on, on one and done right now. Yeah. That, that takes a, it, it's another line of thinking, right? Cause you got to evaluate who you've taken so far. We got a super season. We still have yeah. some um, lingering rules questions about the format of this season. We got to get figured out Jacob. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but anyway, I, I think we'll, we'll, we'll know more about tomorrow. I would say on that one. Alex asks about Bo Hostler. I'm personally not a big fan of Bo Hostler. He's kind of like a, a short game specialist with little upside. I think he's like a worse version of Mackenzie Hughes, right? Where he just like, yeah. he's going to, he's going to have to get up and down constantly. He's going to have to chip in and he doesn't even have the same upside as, uh, as Mac Hughes does. So I'm pretty much out on that. I, I liked him uh, at, at Corrales and I, I, he always kind of piques my interest because he's a somewhat of a recognizable name, but I saw him make a couple swings that um, that didn't quite go very well. And I don't, I'm not sure that that golf swing is in the form where his tee to green stuff's going to pop off soon. Uh, two more that I see. Uh, Brian asks, are we giving any weight to fans being back on the course? I, I would say I, no. I would say very, very, very little. No, it, this is, it's going to have an effect on the players to some degree, but it's not going to, give anybody a big advantage or disadvantage. So I don't think it sways your decision, um, but it does kind of feel a little bit less awkward, but look, this is, it's fewer people than we had at the U S open, even though there were no spectators yeah. at the U S open. It, it's a small, <laughs> it, it's a really small fingerprint. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's enough to matter. Here's the last one. Nick asks anything to say on Bryson's DraftKings sponsorship. First of all, I've got like nine hours worth of stuff to say. So producer Jacob, maybe this should be like a topic for another day or whatever. But um, yeah, this is rocket ship emoji time, right? I mean, you have to remember like what two years ago, 
DraftKings would or uh, or the PGA Tour would not even acknowledge the existence of DraftKings. They would not acknowledge the existence of sports way of golf wagering, anything like that. Now they sign an official deal with a bunch of entities that can help on this stuff. And DraftKings goes out and signs a multi-year deal, Greg, with the I I I'm gonna say it the best guy, the best golfer to be invested in right now, because no one stops talking about him. He's news, whether he plays well or he doesn't. Uh, yes, I think this is great. I think you're going to see a lot more DK logos and on, on bags and hats and whatever it is. And it's going to be awesome. And he also has great brand awareness. If you hear his interviews, right. He's not afraid to thank his sponsors. And look, one thing I'll say about, uh, about DraftKings and that partnership, I believe it's really important. Um, It's important for the PGA tour, in my opinion, too, especially when you look at what's going to happen at the masters this year. I know this is a little bit of a tangent, but you're going to be able to customize your viewing players. And that is come, that's going to end up on the PGA tour. As you look down the road, you're going to be able to set your, uh, to, to set your viewing experience, how you want, pick your own featured groups. And as you do that, it, it limits sponsor opportunities for smaller players to some extent without DraftKings because everybody's going to watch Tiger and Rory and, and you'll know exactly who's watching who. Um, but DraftKings brings everybody back into the mix. And as you have your fantasy lineups, you're going to watch um, a, a Danny McCarthy, a Charles Schwartzel. I'm, I'm not picking on these guys. It's just they may not be the first players you choose. Um, but when they're on your fantasy lineup, all of a sudden you're watching them. So I think DraftKings is very important for the tour because it preserves, makes you, um, the the fantasy player, a little bit more aware of uh, the tour in its entirety. Bingo. You're exactly right. That That is the key point. That is why Max Homa is popular. It is why Tom Hoagie, people know who Tom Hoagie is. It's why we're talking about Patrick Harry Rogers, Harry. I mean, it's just like, if you want people to know out the uh, golfers outside the top 10 in the world, the, the DraftKings players, the DFS players know that, uh, which is good for the game. So yeah. good for the game. And it makes these around. other events really important too. Like Bermuda is, is a really important event if you're playing fantasy <laughs> right. golf every week, right? It becomes, the, it, it takes the um, the ups and downs of where the stars playing, where the, the, uh, the next level guys playing, and it, it kind of levels that playing field. Very important. There you go. Mega preview pod coming on Tuesday. So that'll be uh, storylines, best bets, one and done, all that good stuff. For now, let me thank Greg Ducharme, who you can follow on Twitter at The Real GFD. You can find me at Rick Run Good. Thanks for hanging with us on the live chat. This has been the first cut, and we'll catch you next time. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.